thank you for downloading this sermon from Holy Trinity Reformed Church. If you live in the vicinity of Mooresville, Indiana, come join us as we rebuild Christ's Holy Church out of the ash heaps of American fundamentalism and evangelicalism through repentance, revival, and reformation. If you would like more information about Holy Trinity Reformed Church, or if you do not live in our area but would like to support this ministry, please visit our website at reformedholytrinity.org. We are thankful that God is able and shall deliver us. We know that the victory belongs unto him, that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and that he will put all enemies under his feet. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, and he will reign forever and ever as the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and Christ. Galatians chapter 6. We'll begin reading in verse number 1. We'll read down through verse 10. So Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Let him who is taught, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not grow weary while we're doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Last week, we returned to Galatians chapter 6 to continue our study through this letter by Paul to the churches of Galatia. We had taken a little bit of a break, and so now we're trying to get back in the groove as we finish out this epistle or this letter written by Paul to all the various churches located in the providence of Galatia. And so after... The first five chapters, with all the reproving and rebuking and exhorting, with all long-suffering and doctrine, just as Paul had commanded Timothy to fulfill when he told him to preach the word and to be instant in season and out of season. After all of that, all that reproving and all that rebuking and all that exhorting, and some of it uh, a little bit rough, Paul now is making application. And of course, what is application? It is simply the things that are to be uh, done in response 
to all the things that had been stated or established earlier. And so there's a specific application that Paul is making, not only in the context here with the churches of Galatia, but in all of the churches throughout all time. There is a specific application that is being made here that we are going to take some time to consider. Last week, we simply considered Paul's transition into these statements of application in his use of the word brethren. We're not going to get much farther than that today. And so there's a lot to consider here in our text. And I don't want us to miss this because this is actually foundational and very important in the church and in the reformation of the church for today. I mean, this is critical. This is essential because what was Paul trying to do? He was trying to restore the churches there in Galatia. He was reforming them back to what he had established where they had already went astray. And so this is very important reformation work uh, that Paul is doing and that he is instructing them to do. There's a lot to consider. And so before we jump into this matter... And beginning last week, I wanted to emphasize the motivation. And so essentially, we recognize that Paul's use of the word and his change in tone is to show that the reproving, the rebuking, and the exhorting was coming from love. We don't associate those terms with love nowadays. Because we live in this snowflake society where not only do we have the false premise of live and let live, and if it feels good, do it, but we just really don't care what the consequences are going to be for anyone who does that. Why? Because we are without love today. Robert and I was talking about this perseverance and grit earlier and how in older generations there was this love that had that grit and perseverance and dedication and restraint and of course we don't have that nowadays and so we are dealing with these issues from a very difficult place And it takes a lot of convincing nowadays. And so we're going to spend some time here in the first part of this chapter. Uh, Hopefully we can finish before we get to Advent. That's my hope and my desire. But I am pretty confident that it's going to take us until uh, the last Sunday of November to have any hope of uh, being able to finish uh, this epistle. So we are considering the motivation that it was coming from love. Notice, brethren, after all the things he said about them, all the anathemas, all the warnings, all the rebukes, all their failures that has been pointed out, after he has said all of that and confronted them in conflict with them, he says, brethren remember when we went through well it's been a long time ago so a few of you might remember when we went to through first corinthians 
And it is amazing the love that Paul had demonstrated and showed to the church there at Corinth, which was a mess, right? That church was a mess. Of course, we're kind of like uh, the old the, the saying that goes around today, you know, when someone does something and then someone's going to outdo them. You know, the saying, uh, here, you think that was something here, hold my beer? Well, that's kind of like American Christianity when we look at the Church of Corinth. It's like, yeah, you haven't seen anything yet because we're getting ready to outdo you, and we have. But brethren... Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, now what's he been dealing with? The church at Galatia being overtaken in trespasses. And he says, brethren, if any man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. This is a side note. I don't know that we'll get back around to it, but all the things that Paul had done through the or said through the first five chapters, he considered that to be the spirit of gentleness. Okay, so I, I think in our modern culture we have some reevaluation to do um, with how we define certain things. But he says, "Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, restore him." Now, the use of this word reveals the familial affection that Paul has for them. He loves them like family. And this familial love is a divine love because it is not the love of the flesh, but the love of the spirit, which is a greater love than even physical familial love. They were brethren because they were beloved or loved by God. They had been adopted into the family of God, and this is a love where the present physical realities and limitations have no restrictions on this love. Why? Because the love that comes from God is eternal. The love that comes from God overcomes all things. Read about the perfected love that comes from God in 1 Corinthians 13. And that's the kind of love that we Christians are to have for God and for one another. And Paul had this kind of love. There were no restrictions on this love. There, it was love without measure. Love without end. Love that is eternal. And therefore, because it was that kind of love, it did reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Matthew Henry wrote, This chapter chiefly consists of two parts. In the former, the apostle gives us several plain and practical directions, which more especially tend to instruct Christians in their duty to one another and to promote, this is very important, to promote the communion of saints in love. And that's what we started dealing with last week, their communion in their conflict. As a matter of fact, think of this. What epistle, what church in uh, the book of Revelation? Remember the seven churches of Asia? You ever notice that there's a constant theme in all of them, in every situation, and what is it? Conflict. 
But that's the thing we're not supposed to have today, right? Because that's when you're a bad church. But we have failed to realize that all of life is conflict. If we're not conflicting, we're lying. We're Pharisees. And that's where we're at in American Christianity because we're supposed to be in conflict with the flesh, right? Mortifying even our own flesh, being conformed into the image of God. And let me tell you, that is a conflict. Because the image of Christ and the image of man are in direct conflict with each other. But we're looking at communion in the midst of conflict. That's why he says, brethren, they're still in communion. They're still in love. And so he acknowledges that, reminds them that they are brethren. And brethren in any, and in a greater sense, than when you call your physical brother your brother. No, he's calling them brethren according to the Spirit of God. As they have been born again into God's family. And so he's promoting the communion of saints in love. Remember in chapter 5 and verse 13, Paul had said, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Serve one another. He's actually explaining one of the biggest components of what that means now here in chapter 6, what it means to actually serve one another. And then he says, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And here again in chapter 6, he's given us some more insight on what that means. And then he warned them back in chapter 5, but if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. That is a description of the modern American church. And then he goes on in that chapter to define what the fruit of the Spirit is, and the very first thing he lists is love. And then he gives them another warning about being conceited and provoking one another and envying one another. And as soon as he makes that statement, then he says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a trespass, restore such a one. So not to restore such a one is to be conceited and to provoke and to envy, not to walk in love. But here the reproving, the rebuking, and the exhorting throughout the earlier chapters is to lead us to this place here in Galatians chapter 6, which is a place of restoration. The reproving, rebuking, and exhorting is love, and reconciliation is love. How do we know the love of God? Well, he sent Jesus Christ into the world to reconcile us. Reconciliation is love. 
And yet there is no reconciliation without the preaching of the word to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And it is no wonder that we do not have reconciliation today. And it's a very sad state of the church. It's a very sad state of our culture and our families. There is no reconciliation today. And it is because there is no preaching of the word through the means of reproving, rebuking, and exhorting. Because it is just, do whatever you want. We don't care. We don't care if you die and go to hell. We don't care if you wreck your life. We don't care. We don't care. We don't care. Why? Because we're without love today. We do not have a desire to see hell-bound sinners reconciled to God and then reconciled to men. We're living in a loveless age. Which is where hedonism leads you. As a matter of fact, it's kind of depicted in a modern song. This isn't an, an endorsement. I'm not saying one thing one way or the other. Um, a lot of times people take certain things as endorsements. It's not necessarily an endorsement. But there's a song, and probably most of you have no idea who I'm talking about or what I'm talking about. The song is called Monsters. And then, of course, if I was to ask, no one would raise their hand if they did know. Okay? And the kids would be like, this is a trick question. <laughs> so this isn't a trick question, but I won't ask anyway. But it's a song, it, the title of it is Monsters, and it is sung by the group Shine Down. And anyway, here's a couple of the lyrics, a couple of the verses, and it really depicts us today. It really depicts the church today, unfortunately. Actually, the verses depict the church, and the chorus And the bridge depicts our culture. Now, I'm not saying they were intentionally doing it. It's just one of those natural consequences of our day. And they're just singing about what they see. But anyway, it says this in one of the verses. Good for you, you fooled everybody. Good for you, you fooled everyone. Good for you, now you're somebody. Good for you, you hurt, or excuse me, then there's another verse that goes this way. And then it starts, good for you, you hurt everybody. Good for you, you hurt everyone. Good for you, you love nobody. Good for you, you owe no one. That is a description of us today. Now, the song is mockingly stating those facts you know good for you you don't love anybody you've hurt everyone you just don't care good for you that's that's us today right and then the chorus kind of talks about just the state of our culture you know because if you haven't noticed things are getting a little weird out there And then it says, leave your weapon on the table, wrapped in burlap, barely able. Don't get angry. Don't get discouraged. Take a shot of liquid courage. Leave the light on if you're able, because we both know you're unstable. Call a doctor, say a prayer, choose a God you think is there. And then it goes on, because my monsters are real, and they're trained how to kill, 
and there's no coming back, and they just laugh at how I feel. And these monsters can fly, and they'll never say die. And there's no going back. If I get trapped, I'll never heal. Yeah, my monsters are real. So, this is where I wanted to start next week, or last week, on Paul's motivation, his motivation about love, care, and concern. Not like our day and age in which we live. Where we live in a day that is unloving and uncaring and doesn't give a flip about anything. And so, some things may be a little disjointed here, not perfectly systematic as we consider our passage over the next few weeks. Because, but because it is customary to state the topic in the introductory sermon, I'm going to tell you that the topic that we are approaching here in our passage is the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation. Now this seems like a meaningless statement on the surface, but I assure you as we consider this topic, it is going to cause sin to swell up inside you. And it's going to cause sin to swell up inside me. You may not even know it resides there. But I assure you it will swell up in your heart either to reject this premise through apathy I'll just ignore it. Or through defiant means. This morning, I want to continue to draw one other implication from Paul's transitional statement in the use of the word brethren as we consider the communion of the church in conflict. Paul's use of this word implies not only love, but urgency. He uses this word to get their attention, to draw them back. It's kind of like he's attempting to draw their eyes back into contact with his. Look at me. Look in my eyes. Come back. Listen. And the reason is because he has something urgent and something important to say. This is what I want us to understand this morning, that this is the urgency and importance of this ministry of reconciliation. But before we do that, I suppose it might be prudent for us to set some foundational footing that there is a such thing as the ministry of reconciliation and that this is what Paul is talking about here in our text. Now, we know that he's talking about restoration which is reconciliation, when he says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you're also tempted. In Second Corinthians, as he is writing to the church at Corinth, he says this in Second Corinthians chapter 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God. Here is the time to listen. Who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us this ministry of reconciliation. So Paul says, that this gospel message that they were taken forth into the world was that 
God sent Jesus Christ to reconcile us to himself, and that's the ministry that God has given us, is to reconcile sinners back to, man, or back to God. And to reconcile man to man. It's a ministry of reconciliation, and that's why Paul could later on say, now we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. He understood the urgency and the importance of the ministry that God had given him, which was to reconcile sinners to God. And he says, therefore, we, uh, God is pleading through us to you. And then he says, we implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. That's the ministry. The ministry that we have been given in the church is to reconcile sinners. And to reconcile each other. And to be reconciled unto God and to be reconciled unto one another. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul says, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things. And I love that part of it. Reconcile all things to himself. American Christianity really should consider what that means. But Paul goes on to explain it further when he says, And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or in heaven. All things are going to be reconciled to Jesus. And that's why he came, is to reconcile everything back to God. And so Paul is going through this and talks about how that we have now been reconciled in the body of Christ's flesh through his death in order to present us holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight if, if we continue in the faith grounded and settled and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you which are spiritual, restore such a one. In the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you're also tempted to be moved away from the hope of the gospel. The ministry of reconciliation to bring sinners to God. The ministry of reconciliation to the saints to keep them in the hope of the gospel. The ministry of reconciliation. The purpose of our life and the purpose of the church is reconciliation. That is our work and that is the work that God has given us. That's the work that Paul is now instructing the churches in Galatia to do. It is what we are to be engaged in. It's what we are to give our lives to. The ministry of reconciliation. And think about the wonderful aspects of what that means. That our job is, first of all, to be reconciled to God to belong to Him, to be His people, but to be reconciled one to another. 
this ministry of reconciliation where heaven and earth become one, where the lion lays down with the lamb. Reconciliation. Everything hinges on this, including our personal salvation. Because that's what salvation is. It's reconciliation. And this is the importance and urgency of Paul's statement. It's our salvation that is at stake in the ministry of reconciliation. It is yours and yours and yours and yours and yours and mine. Our salvation is at stake when it comes to this topic. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. Why do they need to be restored? We read it earlier about how that we were alienated in our minds by wicked works, but now Christ has reconciled us in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight if you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard. In chapter 1, Paul says in verse number 6 to the Galatians, I marvel that you are so soon turning away from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. And then down in verse 11, he says in chapter 4, I am afraid of you, lest I have labored in vain. What's at stake here? Them being moved away from the hope of the gospel? Because he says, if you continue. Therefore, he pleads with them. And he says, it's as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. See, in Acts chapter 20, Paul also makes this statement as he's given testimony concerning the work of God through him and his ministry. And he says, Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. Think of that statement. Paul says, I am pure from the blood of all men. There's no blood on my hands. I can testify. God, we are the ambassadors of God. He's given us this ministry of reconciliation and there's no blood on my hands. I'm pure from, I'm, I'm pure from the blood of all men. And then he says, why? For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Well, where does that come from? That actually comes from Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 19, where God told the prophet, if you warn the wicked and he turn not from his wickedness nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity. But you have delivered your soul. Again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die because you have not given him warning. He shall die in his sin, and his righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood will I require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the righteous man that the righteous sin not, and he does not sin, he shall surely live, because he is warned, and you have delivered your soul. That's what Paul's talking about. 
That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 11, when he's talking about the Jews, he says, if by any means, (laughs) he's like, I'll use any means lawfully, any means that I am allowed to mean, if by any means I might provoke them to jealousy, which are of my flesh and might save some of them. Paul says to the Thessalonians, talking about the Gentiles, how that the governing authorities were forbidding them to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved. You see, this ministry of reconciliation is important because God uses means. And when he calls us into and he uses the church, the means is the church. And when he calls us into the church, we are a part of that means in which to save ourselves and to save those that hear us. As a matter of fact, Paul tells the young pastor Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. And then he says this. Continue in, continue in them. And all the things he had just mentioned. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. The Ministry of Reconciliation. The salvation of sinners is dependent upon it. And if you're a sinner, then you are dependent upon this Ministry of Reconciliation. Paul also tells Timothy that he endures all things for the elect's sake. So why was he being beaten, stoned, left for dead? Why did he suffer hunger? Why did he go through all those afflictions, being shipwrecked, not having the needs, not having the things for his necessities? Why did he endure all those things? For the salvation of sinners. Whomever God was going to save. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Why? Because we've been given this ministry of reconciliation. James says this, Brethren, if any one of you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. The ministry of reconciliation. Because God uses means and God uses men in the salvation of sinners. 
And so that's why Paul says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. Why? Because his soul is at stake. This is an urgent matter. It is a matter of eternal life and death. And this is what I want to ask us. If it was a matter of life and death, what would our expectations be? What are our expectations when we read the package and it says this is a choking hazard? This is poison. Don't drink it. What are our expectations for temporal things when it's a matter of urgency? What are our expectations when it's a matter of safety? What are our expectations when it is a matter of potential injury or even death? We'll put guardrails up. We'll put safety harnesses on. But when it comes to the reconciliation of sinners and saints. Paul was starting from a disposition of love. Paul was starting from a disposition of urgency and importance. This is urgent and this is important. This is the work that God has given us to do. The ministry of the church is a ministry of reconciliation. And so those are the things that we are going to be considering in this passage. What this ministry entails, what this reconciliation is, and what we are to do in being ambassadors of God in this work that he has given unto us. But the very change in the tone, the drawing them back, gives us an understanding of Paul's urgency. But we also see that it is implied in his statements that if a man is overtaken, that the others are supposed to restore them. It is an implicit command. It's direct. He says, this is what you are to do. You see, there are eternal consequences at stake in our salvation and in the salvation of others. And so Paul says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Because it might be you. And wouldn't you want someone to restore you? If you was hanging on a cliff, barely able to hold on to the ledge above you, wouldn't you want someone to restore you? If you were in a car wreck 
and the car was mangled all around you, wouldn't you want someone to come with the jaws of life and open it up and restore you? You who are spiritual, restore such a one. Considering yourself. Why? Because there are eternal consequences. Father, we pray that you would give us the love that Paul had for the Galatians. We pray that you would help us to have the urgency in understanding the importance of the situation, just as Paul understood. We pray that you would make us ambassadors in this ministry of reconciliation, as Paul said that we were called to be. But most importantly, we pray that you would help us to love you and to love one another so that we would be willing to bear one another's burdens. And we ask this in the name of your Son, our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.